And I think a lot of people don't think they can do it, whether they're guys or girls or out of shape or there's a lot of functions in a fire agency that you can do that you don't have to be the Olympic swimmer to swim out in the ocean and back. So there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that gets done. So we just brought on a, a resident volunteer, which is our intern program. They stay at the station, a gal that just got out of probably out of high school. And so, you know, anybody can do it. I don't think she thought she could do it, but now she's doing it just the best of us. And they do it all the time and they work a 24 hour shift. Welcome to Seaside 101. We're your hosts, Aiden and Mary. This podcast is a collaboration between the City of Seaside and Seaside High School. In this series, we're interviewing Seaside City officials to learn more about what goes on behind the scenes. The goal being to educate the public and inspire people to get involved in their communities. Today we're here with Joey Daniels, who is Seaside's Fire Chief. Alright, so first question for you. Uh, what responsibilities is your department in charge of? Uh, my department's in charge of all fires and rescues for the city of Seaside. That includes lifeguards, um, water rescue, rope rescue, medical calls. Um, just about any time you call 911 if it's for a rescue, that's what our department covers. So, And how would you describe your role in your department? Well, as the fire chief, I'm the manager of the department. So... What I get to do is do the budgeting, uh, kind of keep the pieces together. We are primary volunteer fire department with six paid staff. So overseeing them and making sure they have everything they need to operate and function. And then let uh, all our constituents, both our council and our members in public, uh, know what's going on. Uh, and oversee our Facebook and website. And... Uh, I'm also the county fire chief right now, so that involves me basically getting information from all the fire chiefs in the county, and I talk to the state once a week. Right now we're talking about wildfires, so that's what I do as far as keep the whole county and their chiefs abreast of what's going on. Have you been in this career path for a while then? Wow. I've been in this career path 25 years, so about since February 96. Um worked my way up through the ranks. I started actually in Gearheart um, as a volunteer firefighter and working on my criminal justice because I wanted to be a cop. And then I actually really enjoyed it. So I went off to be an intern and stayed at a fire station and they paid for all my college as long as I responded to calls and stuff down in Salem. I went down there and then just continued in it. Um, I've been overseas in Iraq as a contract firefighter. I used to run the fire science program at the college for three years before I got hired in Seaside in 2009 as the training officer. And then in 2012, I got hired as the fire chief. So, Could you tell us a little bit more about your background in education? Well, I've got an uh, interesting background. Uh, I'm a Seaside High School graduate, but uh, I've got an associates in fire science and in criminal justice. So it's helped me manage a lot of the stuff we do fire investigations. So that has to do on both sides. And then I have a lot of certifications. Our, our job is based on certifications and, and medical certifications. So really, uh, I think I have 17 fire certifications and I'm an EMT intermediate. So we do on the medical side, we do a lot. Uh, a lot of our guys are really cross-trained. Um, you won't see a lot. Of, we do a lot of water rescue. We assist every agency in the county for that. And rope rescue. So a lot of us do high angle rescue, go off cliffs, 
try to save people and then go in the water on our skis. So everybody's got to be a little well-rounded and we do ladder rescue. So if you ever see our big giant ladder truck driving around, uh, so we all have to climb that annually. Uh, it's a hundred feet. So all the certifications basically are how we operate uh, the background education with having the degrees help with the management side, but uh, certifications is a big side in our, our field. And what inspired you to uh, kind of pursue that? You mentioned you wanted to be a cop first, and then you just kind of got, you kind of just liked it. Is that so? Yeah, I mean, you know, public service is real rewarding. I know some people may not think so sometimes, but helping people is rewarding. People can do it in all sorts of things. I think since I was a little kid, I've either dealt with patrol officers or others. Um, and I grew up with people that were either volunteer firefighters for Seaside or other fire departments. So I've always done it, but one of my mentors was Sergeant Mark Whistler for the Sheriff's Office. He's retired now, but he lived right down the street from me. So I looked up to him, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. And then as I got into uh, being a volunteer firefighter because I was doing my homework, I was like, I should find something to do. And uh, so I did that, and I really enjoyed it. So I was like, huh, change gears. So I actually finished my fire science degree and then went back because I only had a couple classes to finish my criminal justice just to finish it. What's your favorite part of your job? I would say helping people. I mean, the administrative parts I have to do, but actually going out on calls, I still respond calls just like everybody else because when they have six paid staff, it's about two on a day. So it's going out there. It's keeping positive. You know, there's a lot of people that even when you can get negative, a lot of negativity in the world right now, and then get out there and, you know, people really thank you for what we do and need us. You know, when you actually go out there and see people that they need you when you get there. I mean, they don't, most people don't call 911 just because they don't need us. So I think that's the most rewarding, um, sometimes challenging doing it because we're all on call 24 hours a day. So getting up at two in the morning can be challenging several days in a row, but you learn a lot from everybody. And even the newest person I have on the department, I've always learned a little something. Sometimes it's just technology, you know, it's like, Oh, Hey chief, I can, let me show you how to do that app. Sure. So, uh, there's just a lot of things that we can always learn. And I think when you stop learning, you probably should retire. So it's always been, I told my guys, when I stop learning from people, then it's just time for me to retire. So I have a few more years left, I think. Uh, tell us something about your job that might surprise the general public. Well, I think a lot of people don't realize the water rescue aspect that we do. I think they just see the lifeguards on the beach and think that they're lifeguards. They're actually affiliated with the fire department. And you'll see them all wearing uniforms to Seaside Fire and Rescue. But I would say the majority of people always ask us when we're down there, what are you doing down here? The lifeguards are a part of us. And a lot of the people you see lifeguarding down there, including myself, um, are on the fire department. So we just happen to wear shorts and a T-shirt if we're on the beach versus our wetsuit. So I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of stuff that we do. And they'd be surprised to go into the station. And just like in the small community of Seaside, the stuff that we have to do to make sure that everybody's safe. And that includes our tourists. And we have a lot of tourists that come in here. And I think that uh, not necessarily always read all the rules and stuff. So we have to be ready for just about anything. And I don't think anything surprises me anymore what we go to. So. so being in the fire department sounds like a lot of responsibility, whether it's out in action or behind the scenes. Tell us about the challenges that you face doing your job. 
as you guys know, COVID has been a challenge that none of us could ever practice to on. And for us to stay uh, on course and still give the public uh, service we do has been very challenging. Uh, we're a small city. I think a lot of people look at Seaside as 6,500 people, 6,800 people. But we run probably ten or 15,000 people in town all the time, not counting all the events we have. So challenging for us is having staffing. When we have a lot of the bigger events, or even if you guys have a, a school event, you know, there's only two or three of us, you know, the, maybe around during the day. And then, so I think that budgeting for more career staff is, is always challenging because it costs money and hard to find the f- balance of being able to offset the volunteers. Cause we have, you know, right now a lot of people, all of our, my guys work. So when the uh, volunteers are working, we still have to cover the calls. And so that's the, probably the most challenging is to staff the agency. For our On the Street segment, we've sent out our fellow FPLA members into the city to gather questions from the public. This question's for Fire Chief Joey Daniels. Chief Daniels, will South County Fire Departments ever consolidate to save the taxpayers' money? South County Fire Departments could consolidate. This would take a lot of research to make sure that we have to get with all of our politicians from our different districts and cities to make sure this is cost effective for all of our citizens. Um, a couple of things would be if people have levies out, then other people would be responsible for them. Um, but in the future, they should uh, have somebody come in and do a study and see what consolidation would look like uh, with all the fire departments um, and manpower. With with uh, volunteers being a struggle, um, getting then then uh, career staff are more and more needed to cover when the volunteers aren't available and the call loads going up. So in the future, I think for the politicians of all the fire departments in the South County and probably all the county should look at having someone come in and do a study and uh, see what um, it would look like if we all consolidated and what that cost would be. So just a random question that came across my mind, but what are your thoughts on fireworks bans? There was a ban on fireworks where I used to live, but it didn't seem to be that effective. Do you think those kind of bans ever work, or is it conditional to the place it's set in? Fireworks bans are a challenging issue right now, and you'll see that in most a lot of cities here. And sometimes people will point to this city and say, well, we're here. Well, Seaside is a big visiting area, and so when we look at Fourth of July's and staffing, then we can have forty to 80,000 people in town. And I have 10 or 12 people, maybe 15 people, if all he's working all day. We're covering calls. And so, same thing with law enforcement. There, you know, we work hand in hand with them all the time, our local law enforcement. And so, we're geared for a smaller city, staffing-wise. So, when you have this big event, and people want to necessarily try to figure out how to um, shut it down or contain it, it becomes real challenging. And so, because one idea might seem good, but then remember, when there's ever there's an action. There's an opposite and equal reaction. So if I say, you're going to ban them on the beach, where are they going to go? You know, are they going to go to their homes and light them off? So it's just uh, to have an idea on how we, in the past, we've brought in more law enforcement to help. But even fireways, you know, we can go out there and, and do it. We, cont- we confiscate, and I don't think a lot of people realize that, we confiscate a lot of fireworks every year. But 
when there's that mass of people, literally you're taking it away and people are filling that spot before you even walk down the beach. Or, uh, that's a challenging. And we're going to ask them, if we want us to drift this way, how are we going to cover the rest of our responsibilities and duties? It's just tough enough for us to maintain fire pits, making sure people don't burn the green grass down, and our normal calls. And I think law enforcement, that's the same way. There's a lot of just normal day-to-day -day calls they handle, and now you add that that other issue. You almost have to take us all and put us there. When you have an issue on, like, the 4th of July, it's not just an us problem. Where 4th of July is, a, you know, an issue everywhere, so the resources to come help might not be there. How you can ever control in the, in the in seaside or Gerhardt or any of these communities, Cannon Beach. Cannon Beach has done a great job, but it hasn't been overnight. And so you can really be proactive. But do they still write citations and have issues? Of course, because not everybody knows um, the rules we have. I mean, because Washington's so close, you have a lot of illegal fireworks. Not a lot of people know what it's illegal in Oregon, even though we post it everywhere. That it, it would take a lot of years of education, and we do it every year. I mean, the city pushes out stuff to all the way into Portland and say, hey, don't come to the coast. The state fire marshals does. We put it on our website. But, and you guys will see that if you come into town right now and either in the seaside, there's reader boards, which the city purchased. And it gives you different information to, based on COVID or during fire season, which we're in right now. You'll see it say, you know, for more fire information, go to seasidefire.com. And it amazes me how many people have never seen them. Yeah, it definitely is important to emphasize education. I mean, fire season in Oregon has always been a serious issue. In fact, to take a look at some of the historical fires, there's the Tillamook Forest Fire of 1933, which spread over 240,000 acres of forest land. More fires in 1939 and 1945 caused 355,000 acres to be burned, killing 13 billion board feet of timber. Right. Even today, wildfire season can be just as scary. By mid-August last year, Oregon had burned over 1 million more acres than the previous year. Extreme drought and the buildup of dry underbrush has created longer and larger fire seasons, putting firefighters under exhausting hard battles and leaving those in Oregon tents. Devastation does not set us back, though. Actions of reforestation, building access roads, and felling hazardous snags are just a few of the ways that Oregon is working to protect our state. If there's one thing you can do, you can educate yourself about fire safety. Even if you aren't living in an area prone to forest fires, it's still important to educate yourself on ways to prevent fires from harming you and your community. Check out SeasideFire.com for more info. Do you have a certain vision? Our department vision is to be able to take on all the challenges head on. And I think we've done a good job of that because with this I mean, COVID being so challenging, and not only the response side of it, but... We're a very open department, so we used to have all of our doors open and the front doors open. And now we've went to in a family-oriented department, so families come in, and now it's been locked down for almost two years. So that's challenging to keep volunteers and having people um, come down there, and it's hard to recruit people when basically they can't go in the trucks, they can't do anything for sanitary reasons. So the vision to me is always to have as many people as we can have in the department. And the vision of that has always been there is uh, be the best we can be and to serve our public. Is there anything that you have read or listened to recently that has inspired you? My my biggest influence is my people. They they influence me to keep driving on. And because the management side is not always the funnest side, but when I see everybody that's still wanting to do it, 
and even when I get frustrated over things that I can't control, which we all do, they, they're they there to kind of push me up and go, hey, we're going to do this. We'll drive through and let's make it work. There's a lot of people, if you guys are probably reading the papers and the news, and um, that have been challenged by a lot of the COVID restrictions and rules. And I think to me, I look at us and the staff stepping behind. When I mean staff, that's the volunteers and the crew. And saying, we can do this. And them coming in the office and say, hey, you know, we can, we can manage all these things, whether they're big events or small events. Do you have any advice that you would give to someone interested in pursuing a career similar to yours? I tell everybody, if you're, you know, if you're interested, look what's out there. I mean, I think a lot of people think they can't do it. And so if you like the medical, you know, a lot of our residents or volunteers have actually became career police officers or EMTs, or they can become dispatchers. So there's a lot of fields that splinter out from ours. But I think the volunteer, you know, when people are hiring, I know I am, then you look to see what they do, you know, having people well-rounded in their communities and, and doing stuff. I think it means a lot, but I think when people are interested, just come, just don't, you know, sometimes we're just afraid of doing things. And we get at, need to get out of our comfort zones. A lot of people have a certain mentality or, or vision of what the fire department is. Because people say, well, what are they? Well, it's just, um, they're just, this is what they do. And they're, you know, they just go to fires. Well, that's not all we do. And, you know, whether it's a bunch of burly people going through and that's not it. You know, we've got quite a few females and, uh, quite a few people that are older and quite a few people that are younger. So it's a, we have surfers. I mean, we have, they cover the gamut. You know, we have construction workers, we have law enforcement officers. So EMTs, we have a life flight medic, ODOT employees. They just all try to help their communities. And there's a lot of good paying jobs, rewarding jobs that out there that are, um, people just need to reach out and, and try it. And be, you know, you have to engage. When you're talking about the types of people in your department, you mentioned a lot of diversity. What are the things that you look for when recruiting to make like a strong cooperative team? We look for people that are um, obviously going to get along with everybody. Uh, we have There's a lot of stringent rules we have to follow by that didn't have to 10, 15, 20 years ago, even when I joined. There's a lot of background checks that people might not want. There's, you know, we do drug testing and uh, that's because the public expects us in their house that we aren't going to, you know, we're, that we're a professional organization. And we are. Professional doesn't necessarily mean paid. It just means how you, you operate. And so I think that uh, that's the, the biggest key for what we do. We want really people to come in and want to be there and not necessarily us dragging people there. And it's, it's again, volunteering. Getting up at 2 in the morning is not something you want to be dragged to or 3 in the morning. But I think, uh, I think that if people get there, um, they'll learn this, not just what their vision is of what everything's done there. And I think that's in any job. But I think everybody thinks everybody's a certain job is really cool. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes. There's a lot of cool stuff we do, but there's a lot of behind the scenes, and then they kind of find their niche. So uh, I think a lot of our people have their, you can always tell their strengths and weaknesses, and that, that's a great balance great thing for me is I love having females on the apartment um, because if I'm talking to a patient that's a female 
then I can, uh, um, they'll relate, especially when it comes to medical issues. So sometimes seeing a bunch of um, people in the middle of the night with a bunch of males and you're asking certain questions to females, it's just not comforting. So all of us work and bounce off people with kids the same way. You know, we've got kids, people with little kids, people that are grandpas type deal. And so all that has a role on almost all of our calls because we we're like me, I've got a young kid. I know how to deal with young children and people that are grandparents, the same thing. They've got that. It's just the way you work. With a, uh, a volunteer fire department, what's the like most efficient way that you bring in uh, new volunteers? So the most efficient way uh, we try, we uh, go out and uh, try to get volunteers by either our website, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, we have a person in charge, one of our lieutenants, Adam Post guy. He's in charge of recruitment and retention. And so anybody can come down. You can actually apply online. Uh, go to cityofdeside.us, and you'll see it says volunteer firefighter. And we're taking them all the time. So recruitment and retention of volunteers is very important to our department. That finishes the episode for today. Thank you again to Joey Daniels for coming out and taking the time to talk to us. If you want to learn more about how things are run or want to get involved in your community, feel free to check out www.cityofseaside.us to stay updated with the latest of what's happening in Seaside, Oregon. Production and editing were done by Aiden Usley and Mary Roberto. Our music was produced by Tyler Froberg. This project was coordinated with the help of John Rail and Mike Verholst. Once again, we're your hosts Aiden and Mary signing off until the next episode of Seaside 101.